If you'd like to take out your notes, we're going to carry on with a series that has started, Making an Impact with Your Life. Now, how many of you know that life doesn't always go the way you plan? Can I see your hands? If you, okay, I'm in the right place. It doesn't. Business plans. People have great ideas in business. I meet these people all the time. I serve sometimes as a business consultant to various businesses, helping them achieve their goals. But I've found many times that businesses don't always go as they are planned. And if you're an employee, people get laid off or they even factually get fired. You didn't plan that. Or maybe from a health angle, perhaps your health isn't quite as you expected. Or friends move away or for some reason snub you. Anybody ever had that? Doesn't have to say who, but does anybody have that? Because the hands? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is many things in my life and your life are actually not within my control. And that took me that kind of grated me for a while. For instance, you did not choose who your parents were. You didn't do that, yet nothing you could have done would have selected your parents for you. You didn't choose your race. You did not choose your sex. You did not choose where you would be born, which country you would be born in. Even though I have three citizenships, US, American, and Kiwi, I had no choice in the fact that I was born in England to my mum and dad, all the circumstances that surrounded that. Now, here's the point. You were dealt some cards in life. My family play a lot of cards, and it's furiously competitive. You wouldn't think that. And Kimberly's the worst competitor a lot. She competes very hard. You can imagine that, you know, against my boys. But you and I are dealt cards in life. How you play them is your choice. You don't have choice in the cards that you are dealt, but you do have a choice in the way you play your cards. And today, we all know people who have overcome great adversity to make their lives count, and I admire those people, and so do you. And today I want to talk about an incredibly important subject, which many Christians avoid, and it's how to navigate the tough and the difficult and the challenging circumstances in life. And to do that, we're in a series of famous people in the Bible. The first one we looked at was Moses. The second one we looked at was David. And today we're going to look at Mr. Joseph. Joseph is the guy we're going to look at in the Old Testament. And he really made his life count. He went from being a prisoner, a slave in prison, to being the second highest ranking person in the nation of Egypt, which was the most powerful nation on earth. So effectively, he went from the pit to the palace. From the pits to the pinnacle. And he showed what counts in life. And this is the lesson we need to learn from this. It is not your circumstances that count, but it is your character that counts whilst you're going through those circumstances. And this is what we're going to drill on today. Because God is interested in building your character because that's the one thing you will take to heaven. Nothing else. Not even this physical body. It'll have the same physicality, but it won't be this exact one. The Bible shows us that character, not challenging circumstances, will determine how your life counts or doesn't. So let's have a quick review of Joseph's circumstances, the circumstances in his life. You can pick this up if you're reading or you want to go read the whole thing this afternoon from Genesis chapter 37. 
This is where I'm reading from, Genesis chapter 37. And it goes all the way through around about 50. Fascinating story. Fascinating. This story has it all. It's got revenge. It's got deceit. It's got lust. It's got seduction. It's got attempted murder. It's got violence. It's got false charges of rape and being thrown in prison. It's got the lot. Genesis 37 through 50. Now, I'm going to quickly summarize Joseph's difficulties and challenges in three words, and I'm going to drill down on each of them. I could summarize his difficulties in three words. Number one, he was rejected at home. His dad liked him, but nobody else did. He had 11 brothers and one sister. This man, big family, eh? 11 brothers, one sister. He was seduced and slandered at work. And he was forgotten by friends. Three of his dramas. Now, what I'm trying to say to you is this. Listen up carefully. In the first 30 years of his life. How many years? How many? Everything went downhill. Everything went downhill. Things were horrible. In the natural so the second to last of his 11 children, plus a sister, rivalry and competition and bitterness were present in his family. The Bible says that the brothers were jealous of Joseph. Why? Initially, because of his, the hubris of his youth and his overconfident cockiness didn't help. That was one thing they were racked up about. But there was also a terrible sin by his father. There was preferentiality. There was favoritism. That is never good because here's how this works. That's how we work sometimes. Not good. With God, there is no partiality. None. Zip. He loves us all the same, but we may not love him all back the same. But his love for us all is exactly the same. So, they didn't like him at home because of this overconfidence and cockiness. The Bible says in Genesis 37:22, his brothers hated him so much that they wouldn't speak to him in a friendly manner. They were caustic. Every, every child had a bite. And one day, they plotted to kill him. But then they thought the better of that. And they said, well, let's not kill him. Let's throw him into this well. That's a pit with no water. And so he'll die without us touching him so the blood won't be on our hands. So they dump him in this well. You can read this. I'm just quickly going over the background. And soon some slave merchants came by whom they sold him to for 20 shekels of silver. So this is real brotherly love. (laughs) Powering off the brother for 20 shekels of silver. Now he's taken to Egypt. Now the brothers knew that when you take slaves, you shackle them and you walk through a hot desert. And they thought, he probably won't even survive. It'll be really tough. And they sold him, these traders, to a man named Potiphar, who was a captain of the guard down in Egypt, to Pharaoh. So he became a slave. So first of all, his brothers rejected him, thrown in the pit, sold to these traders, Ishmaelite traders, and then flogged off to Potiphar's 
captain of the guard, and he became a slave. So he went, look at his journey, from being a pampered son with a multicolored coat, and father's preferentiality, with all the accoutrements and privileges that went with that, to being a slave in the pit. So he went from the top to the bottom. So some of you think that you've been rejected. And you have. But so had Joseph. Probably you haven't been flogged off to any slave trader. But Joseph knew that slave trading and that rejection. Then he started to work for Potiphar. And he was very successful. Actually, the Bible records he was put in charge of everything in his home. So things start to pick up a little bit. A little bit of an uptake here. But he was about to get slandered at work, which is a second point here. Slandered at work. And this, if it hasn't already happened to you, will probably happen to you in your careers. See, Potiphar's wife starts to have eyes for Joseph because he was a a good-looking guy. The Bible actually talks about, if you read the story this afternoon, you'll see he was a very handsome guy, well-built. And she gets eyes for Joseph, so she tries to seduce him. Now, just as a point, what the Bible records, it does not necessarily condone. The Bible will tell you some pretty... It tells the truth, ungarnished. It tells you what happened. So the Bible says, after a while, his master's wife began to desire Joseph and asked him to go to bed with her. He refused. But she asked him day after day. Now, sexual harassment in the workplace is about 4,000 years old here, all right? It works both ways, men to women and women to men. And Joseph refused, and he holds on to his morals. But let me tell you, the pressure was great. At one point, in a fit of passion, she goes to grab him. Now, by the way, if you read this, there's a very interesting point. Businessman, listen to me carefully. He was alone with her. There was not one other servant in the place. Dumb move. Never be alone with somebody of the opposite sex that's not your wife or your progeny. Dumb, 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 dumb move. And she had an opportunity. Because as he, as, as he refuses and he goes to flee, she grabs his coat and he's stuffed. Because it's her word against his. And guess who her husband's going to believe? Dumb move. Do not be caught. There's lots of lessons in the scriptures here. So he loses his coat, but he keeps his character. He did the right thing. He ran from sin. He did the right thing. But hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And she frames him. Falsely. When hubby comes home, she says, tells Mr. Potiphar, who was no wimp himself, he was the chief of the captain of the, uh, of the guards. So to get there, you had to be pretty good with your hands and your sword. And she says, that Hebrew slave tried to rape me. And here's the evidence. And I screamed, and all your other servants heard that. So he's thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit and for doing the right thing. Imagine that. Thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. He's falsely accused, so things are now again going from bad to worse. Then he gets into prison. And there is the third thing. He's forgotten in prison. But he befriends two of Pharaoh's staff members. And by the way, 
he says to them one day, if you ever get out of this dump, remember me. And remember, the boss who's thrown him in there, he's in charge of the captain of all the military there. And he can find the deepest, darkest dungeon. When he's in there, he meets these two guys, and you can read the story, he interprets their dreams. He says, if you ever get out of here, you guys, remember me. Don't leave me in this place. In fact, the Bible says literally here, please be kind enough to mention me to the king and help me out of this prison. But the wine steward never gave Joseph another thought. It's all about me. All about me. I'm, I'm, I'm all right, Jack, as my mum used to say. Forget you. That's exactly the attitude that this guy had. And he forgot all about him. So once the cupbearer forgot, uh, got out, he forgot. He forgot Joseph, but God did not forget Joseph. People may forget you, but God will not forget you. The cupbearer overlooked, but God does not overlook you. Friends, sometimes jealous people will try and hurt you. Who did that? The brothers. They tried to hurt him. It was intentional. Immoral people, secondly, will try and tempt you. Now, that's not going to happen every day, but you're not going to see it coming. Or you might sense it. You're walking in a room and all of a sudden you can sense some sparks coming off somebody. You know what I mean. Keep away from that. Because it's only a few more steps until you've committed your life in the wrong direction. The third thing, ambitious people, get me out of here, they use you, but you can still thrive if you have the Lord in your life. Now Genesis 39-23, just what Grant read, the Lord was with Joseph. He never left him. Even those other people in those circumstances were tough and trying and gave him success in whatever he did. Now I want to drill down on the second side of your page. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. What made the difference for Joseph, Joseph's character? Three times in this passage as you read it, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Why was God with Joseph? Because of his character. What is character? Character is repeated patterns of behavior. Repeated patterns of behavior. What were the repeated patterns of behavior that showed up in Joseph's character that made him so different when things seemed to be constantly working against him? What were they? Three things. And more to the point, actually, though, before I get there, what do I do when circumstances seem to work against me and my dream and it's hard going, going forward? In fact, you almost want to give up. What do you do when you're navigating extremely challenging circumstances? You do the same three things that Joseph did. To make your life count when things are tough, you fulfill your responsibilities wherever you are. You do what God has called you to do right there. Secondly, you maintain your integrity. No matter what happens in the situation, I keep my purity and integrity and maintain my standards. And thirdly, I trust God's sovereignty. Now we're going, to do, we're going to drill back through all of those. If you do these three things, you will be clear-headed in challenging circumstances. You need to fulfill your responsibilities, maintain your integrity, and trust God's sovereignty. Now Joseph was a young man. Actually, when we meet him, he is, guess how old? 
Well, actually, we don't have to guess. We have to know. It's in the scriptures. It tells us. He is, how old are you, Simon? He's two years older than you, mate. He's 17 years old. Joseph is 17 when he's flogged off by his brothers. 17. But Joseph was dependable and he was reliable. And he always gave his best no matter what. And as a result, he eventually ends up, by the time he's 30, promoted to the leadership of the most powerful country in the world. Wow. In 13 years. First of a slave. Let's pick it up there. Genesis 39.6. Potiphar gave Joseph complete responsibility over everything that he owned. I love this part. He hadn't to worry in the world with Joseph there. Wow. That's impressive. At 17. 17. Joseph made every decision in Potiphar's household except, the Bible says, what Potiphar would eat. That's pretty all-encompassing. Amazing. Potiphar had no worries. Can your boss say that about you? And the Bible says that Potiphar prospered because of Joseph. Here's a good question. Does your boss prosper because of you? Here's a secular boss. Very secular boss, but he was prospering because of Joseph's wisdom and presence. A few verses later on, though, the whole story changes again. He gets thrown in jail. But even there, it doesn't matter where he is, he prospers. He thrives. The jailer, the Bible says, soon handed over the entire prison administration to Joseph. And I love this again. And had no more worries. (laughs) After that, for Joseph took care of everything. Woohoo! He gets thrown in prison, and next minute he's the assistant warden. That's a great promotion. Joseph is saying this in his own mind I don't know why these things are happening to me, these bad things, but I do know how I am supposed to act. He's saying, I don't know why these circumstances are in my life, and frankly, I don't like them. But I do know who's the Lord of my life. We sang a song earlier today, did you notice? He's my only hope. He brings light in the darkness. And this is exactly what's happening to Joseph. Whenever, whenever anybody turned anything over to Joseph, they didn't have any worries because he was reliable. He was not a flake. He was not egocentric. And the point is here, do your best with your job, even when it's not what you envisioned. I can guarantee you, Joseph, after if you read his dreams, never envisioned that he'd be sitting in a prison. So no matter where he was, he did his best. Irrespective, well, when I get that job, then I'll do my best. No, 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 that's not what God's saying. Do your best, whatever you're in. So let's take a look at Joseph now. He's in prison on fake charges. He's suffering for doing the right thing. Did you notice that? He's suffering for doing the right thing. Skip ahead a few chapters. Pharaoh said, and by the way, this guy is not a Jew. He's not a God-fearer. But his secular boss again was impressed. 
Look what it says. Pharaoh said, who could do a better job, a better job than Joseph? For he is a man who is obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Here's a question. The, well, a point actually. The quality of your work reveals the quality of your spiritual life. Whoa! The quality of your work reveals the quality of your spiritual life. Hmm. The Holy Spirit was obvious in Joseph's life. So let me say this way. There's a direct correlation between shoddy workmanship and a poor testimony. When I call myself a Christian and I don't do good work at work, that is an insult to God's reputation. It doesn't insult his character because nobody can impugn his character, but we certainly can bring disrepute on his name and his family's name and his family's reputation. Oh, they are Christian. He's a Christian. She's a Christian. See, you may have met this guy. Joe claims he's a Christian, and yet he's the laziest guy in the bunch. He takes long coffee breaks, and he says he'll do stuff, but he never, ever delivers. He's an airhead, doesn't take his job seriously, forgets what he's committed to, and barely gets by. He is certainly not rowing the boat, and everybody else in your team knows that. How does that reflect on the family of God? Now you compare that person, which you may have met in your life, I have. Compare that to Joseph. And Pharaoh, the secular boss, goes, holy smokes, look at this Joseph. He's obviously filled with the Spirit. Look at what great work he does. Christian, if you're a Christian today, and some of you may be still considering the claims of Jesus I'm talking to Christians here. You ought to be the best you can be at work no matter what you do. doesn't matter whether you're mowing lawns or you're dealing with billions. You're called to be the best you can be. The reason why, and in spite of very challenging circumstances, that Joe succeeded and was the second in command of all Egypt is because that wherever he went, no matter what he was serving, he gave it his best shot. It didn't matter who his boss was. did not matter whether it's a prison warden, Potiphar, or Pharaoh. He gave it his best shot from the bottom to the top. The issue is not who your boss is. The issue is what kind of Christian are you? And here's my point. Joseph, no matter who he was or where he was, who he was serving, he fulfilled his responsibility faithfully. Luke 10, 16, 10. The person who is faithful in the little things will be faithful in the big ones, and the one who cheats in the little things will cheat in the big things too. Jesus said that. That's the same principle. People will say, well, when I make it big, then I'm going to be faithful. Question, what are you doing on the day-to-day responsibilities right now? Are you being faithful in the little things in the little things. Who knew what was going on in that prison cell? Or when I get out of debt, then I'm going to start giving. Who are you kidding? No, you're not. Your problem's selfishness. When everything settles down, then I'll start reading my Bible. No, you won't. 
because things will never settle down. There's always stuff that happens in this world. You see, if you're not faithful with a little responsibility, he will not give you great responsibility. If you're not faithful with a little amount of money, it will be highly unusual for you to be faithful with a great amount of money because you'll just build bigger barns with it and it'll just feather your own nest. You need to fulfill your responsibility, whatever you're doing, the best you can. And the Bible says that every task, no matter what it is, is an opportunity to develop and demonstrate faithfulness. Even doing the dishes, putting the trash out, whatever that may be. Everything you do, people are watching and God is watching. Are you being faithful in the little things? Colossians 3.23 wraps this point up. Whatever you do, doesn't matter, small or big, but mainly small, do it all heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord is your real master, not the person who's paying the check or asking you to do it, but he will reward you. So God always rewards faithfulness in the little things. So how do you succeed in spite of circumstances? You fulfill the responsibilities you've got right now. Responsibility to your family. Responsibility to your church. Responsibility to your boss. Responsibility to God. Number two. The second thing that made Joseph rise to the top is he maintained his integrity. His integrity. Mo, um, try again. Joseph was a man of absolute integrity, moral purity. He was so spotless, they had to make stuff up about him. They had to lie. Genesis 39.10, the boss's wife comes to Joseph. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. No, duh. This is the smarter part. Or even be with her. Can you imagine the internal battle going on in this guy's mind? Pwah. Normally Potiphar wouldn't marry somebody who wasn't very attractive. He'd have a real stunner as a wife. But yet he refuses to give in. I'm a slave against my will in a foreign country. My life has certainly not gone as I planned it. No way. I've lost my dream. Well, I might as well just lose my morals as well. What the heck? Got nothing else to lose. What motivated a guy like this to maintain his standard of purity and moral integrity even though his world was not turning out the way he had dreamed? And boy, he had dreamed. You go read about his first two dreams. The Bible says two things. He was taught, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. How can I do such a wicked thing as this? It will be a great sin against God. What motivated his purity? Well, it was his loyalty to his master and his love for God. Friend, whenever you sin, you hurt somebody else. Whenever you lower your integrity, you hurt other people. The Bible says this in Proverbs 14, 32. Wicked people bring about their own downfall by their evil. But good people are protected by their integrity. Now, if you want to know about the foolishness of immorality, that means premarital sex. That is sex before you are married. The stupidity of that. If you want to know about that, adultery and all the things that go on with that, you need to read Proverbs 4, 5, and 6. 
actually, let me help you out on one of them. From Pro- I just chose one of the verses because there's so many of them there. It says this, the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys his own soul. People that commit adultery, fornication, which again is sex before marriage, people like that are utter fools. They destroy their own soul. Now truth is often painful. It's like you're being slapped in the face or punched in the gut when you encounter truth. But it will. So first of all, truth will set you free, but it first may hurt. And that verse there will hurt if you're on the wrong side of it. But that is the truth. And my job is to share with you the truth of God's scripture. So whenever you lower any area of integrity, it will damage you. But when you resist temptation, I want to tell you this, it's going to cost you. It's not easy resisting temptation. It's going to cost. Like Joseph, when he took the road of integrity and said no, what happens? Did the right thing. One, he gets fired. Boot. Two, he gets put in jail. And three, he gets punished for doing the right thing. The point is, though, in the long run, it always pays to do the right thing. In the short run, it will cost you. And you will feel sad and discouraged. But in the long run, you'll feel glad. Potiphar's wife grabs onto him, steals his coat, lifts his coat, runs out of there, but he kept his character. So he lost his coat, kept his character. And over the years, I've seen some folks whose marriages who were strained and falling apart say, so what's the point? And then they give up on the morals completely. I challenge you to stay pure. You'll save yourself and others so many heartaches. And you'll have God's blessing on your life. Nothing can take the place of that. So when things go south in my life and things aren't working out how I expected them, the first thing I do is I, I fulfill my responsibility. Secondly, I maintain my integrity. And third and finally, I trust God's sovereignty. As a young man, God gave Joseph two dreams of making an impact with his life. And one day, in immature naivety and hubris, he shared this with his brothers and his dad, who were galled, to say the least. <laughs> well, God gave me a dream that one day I'm going to be a great leader, and everybody's going to bow down to me, even you guys. Isn't that a great dream? <laughs> Can you imagine how that would sound? Woo, boy, how to poke the brothers in the eye. I mean, how would you deal with that if your brother said that to you, especially your younger squirt, Right? <laughs> That was a dream, and it was correct, but it was very naive to share with those people at that time. For 30, the next 30 years, Joseph's life went, it was, it was it, well, it was until he was 30 years old. God never explained to him what was going to go on. This is what's going to, how it's going to work out. I'm in control and I'm planning all of these things, and they will all work out for good. Because the Bible says, for those who are called according to the purposes of God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those that love him. And they are called according to his purpose, and you can see it. No clearer example than in Joseph's life. I'm sure there are times, though, Joseph had absolutely no idea what was going to happen. He probably had every reason to doubt God's love especially after being rejected by his brothers, falsely accused, put in prison. And all these things he'd done right. He could have been saying, well, he could have been tempted to be bitter. Be careful of bitterness. By the way, fights 
will not kill your marriage. Bitterness will. Bitterness will. Everybody fights. If they don't, they lie. They lie about a lot of other things too. So fights are normal. Girls, remember that. Fights are normal. It's not the fights that are going to kill it. It's how you resolve those. If you end up with bitterness, that's the thing that's going to kill it. And Joseph too could have been bitter. Why me, God? You gave me this dream? I'm sure it was you. But now I'm a slave of being falsely accused of rape in a prisoner foreign country. And I could have my head lopped off any moment. The simple whim of Pharaoh. But years later, it all becomes clear. And the Bible tells us Joseph was eventually promoted to be the second in command under Pharaoh because he interpreted the dream. I encourage you to go back and read it. And where he said there was going seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh said, what should we do? And Joseph said, we'll start a national saving system for seven years and save all the extra crops so that when the seven years of famines come, we're going to be cool. We'll have plenty to eat. And Pharaoh said, that sounds like a great idea. You're it. So after 13 years of being sold as a slave, the Bible says that God blessed Joseph so much that when the seven years of famine came, not only did Egypt have enough to feed their own people, but all the other nations around came to buy food from them, even the Israelites. And some of you know that one day Joseph's own brothers show up in Egypt. To buy food from a man. Unbeknownst to them, that man was their brother. That they considered murdering and selling into slavery. Now I've often thought, what would you do in the face of that encounter? He's second in command. He could order their execution in a nanosecond with a click of his fingers. But he didn't. Instead, we get to the business end of this. Genesis 47, 5, verse 7 through 8, excuse me. God, he says to them, God sent me here in his sovereignty ahead of you to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He trusted and could clearly see God's sovereignty and how it all fitted together. Two important lessons you've got to learn when you're dealing with difficult circumstances, and this is this. One, pain often has a hidden purpose. Usually you don't figure that purpose out until the pain's over, and we rarely see the purpose of it whilst we're in the pain. So the wrong question to ask is why? Why is this happening? The right question to ask is what do you want me to learn through this? How should I behave through this? And the second thought here is that God often redirects our lives through failure, a mistake, a disappointment, and a broken dream. God will use those inflection points to redirect your life. So Joseph said, hey you guys, God sent me ahead of you in his sovereignty. Notice his reaction to his brothers who tried to murder him. He says to them quite directly, hey guys, you intended to hurt me or harm me. That was their desire. But, on the contrast, in God's sovereignty, God intended it for good. So you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, notice this, the saving of many lives. Now, notice something else, another sidebar here. And the Spirit of God wants to say some, this to some of you. Joseph is using his influence 
or his affluence to influence the destiny of many lives. He's using his position of power and riches to save many lives. That's how Joseph used his, his affluence. Are you using and are being a good steward of the affluence that you have accumulated to save lives or to feather your own nest? Because God's purposes are greater than your challenging problems. And we've seen this here. His purposes prevail. They'll never be thwarted. Many of you have been harmed by other people. A former spouse. A business partner. A parent, a brother, a sister, a teacher, a boss. A former girlfriend, boyfriend. And they meant to harm you, but God can use it for good if you call according to his purposes. Because his, his plan is greater than your problem. One of the most popular words around today, which I detest, is the word victim. In Christ, you do not have to stay a victim. You can be a victor. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. We've got victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Though those people may have meant it for bad, God can use it for good and bring victory out of it. Bitterness, on the other hand, friends, can develop when we refuse to trust God's sovereignty and say, well, I don't really think God has my best interests at heart when he says, do this, and we want to go that way. And we, go, mm, and we can get bitter or something goes wrong in our lives. Wrong, quote, air quotes. And we're saying, I don't really think God's in control. The good news is that God can turn that completely around. Joseph, notice, had persistent faith like Joshua was talking about. He waited for his years for his dream to come true. And, but even when he didn't understand it, he trusted God. Here's a question for you to think about. Where did Joseph's dreams get him? They got him tossed in a drink and he eventually ended up in the slavery. Where does integrity get him? He got him in prison. Notice this. Where did helping others get him? Nowhere. But, here's an important point. You do not see him getting bitter and having a pity party. That's one thing I've got to say. Bless my mother's soul. She would never let us boys have a pity party. Ever. She was quite brutal like that. No. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> okay. She was quite clear on that. And neither did Joseph. Instead of having a pity party, you see him. Look at his behavior. You see him fulfilling his responsibility. You see him manage his integrity. Well, he may lose his dream right then, but he wasn't going to lose his morals. And you see him trusting God's sovereignty. Him saying, I believe God has a plan. So what do you do when circumstances dispute the dream that God has given you? You do what the book of Proverbs says, Solomon. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Don't try to figure out all on your own. Trust God, he'll help you. Ask him. All, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So when I'm going through a circumstance like that, a challenging circumstance, I ask myself three questions. One, is it my fault? A lot of the time it is. A lot of the time it's my fault. I bring things on myself. Stupid. Overcommit, or whatever it may be. Two, what can I learn from this? Three, how does God want me to act and behave in this circumstance? Philippians 1.27, I think this summarizes Joseph's life nicely. But whatever happens, whatever happens, make sure 
that your everyday life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Joseph's honored God every day in the trivial, in the mundane, in the prison, in the day-to-day chores, and they weren't nice chores. Does the quality of your work right now honor the Lord? So much so that people say, wow, that person's top-notch. Do you work for the glory of God in everything you do? Because that's what Joseph did. When you work like that God, the master controller of circumstances can take you from the pit to the palace if you'll trust him. Here's a challenging part. Have there been circumstances in your life that you've been using as an excuse not to do more with your life? Well, if only fill in the dots. What are your excuses? If only you had more money, if only you had better parents, if only you had the opportunity, if only you had more time, if only you had a different boss. Are those excuses? Or some of you out there may say, well, how can I maintain my integrity when I've already lost it? Here's the answer. You start over. You let the blood of Christ make you clean. You have to confess your sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. Some of you may want to write that down and meditate on that. Or somebody else might say, well, I can't make an impact with my life. I've failed. I've blown it too many times. Well, so what? When you study the Bible, you find people that God used often had the most major failures in their lives. Look at David. Actually, that's a bit scary when I think about that. <laughs> the first guy we looked at, Moses, doink, he duked somebody and killed him. Right? Well, David did the same thing many times over. Yet God used them when they confessed their sins. The issue, my friend, is character. Not circumstances. Let's pray. Friends, today with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I want you to see how God wants to work through you. But you've got to start with the very basics. Would you pray, Lord, help me to fulfill my responsibility right now to be faithful in the little things. To fulfill my responsibility as a husband and leader and father and, or a mother, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as a teacher, as a friend, as a Christian, help me to fulfill my responsibility. Lord, I want to commit myself to being the best worker in my workplace. Not to be better than others, but to be the best that I can possibly be with the gifts that you've graciously given me for Jesus' sake. Perish the thought that I'm a poor testimony. If you're in business, you ought to be the best business person you could possibly be for the glory of God, not for your gold or gain. You ought to make the most money you can to help the most people you can for the glory of God, not to feather your nest or build bigger barns. And I believe God's word to some of you here today is, how are you going to use your affluence for Jesus' influence in this world before it's over? Some of you need to say, Lord, will you help me maintain my integrity? 
Maybe you're under attack at the office and you're being challenged for your faith. Or even your purity. There are temptations that will come your way even this week. Would you say, Lord, strengthen my integrity. Help me make the right choices out of loyalty to you and others. If you're a homemaker, you ought to be the best homemaker you can possibly be for the glory of God because you are building little lives and you are shaping eternal destinies. Don't let anybody convince you to minimize the value of that. Some of you are frankly in situations that you feel frankly stink. And you need to say, like Joseph, God, I will trust your sovereignty. Joseph waited 30 years until he started to see God's plan more clearly. Would you pray, Lord, whatever happens, I want to make sure that my everyday life is worthy of you. I want to learn from this and act in the way that you want me to act and to trust you to the very end. Holy Spirit, help us be people of character, your character. And I pray that this church will be a church that builds Christ-like character in people to face a difficult and challenging situation and circumstances of this world. Thank you for all of our church family, for the support that we get and the encouragement we get to be what you want us to be in Christ's precious and matchless name. And everybody said, Amen.